And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.33, and joining me now is my Master Garden friend, Barb Lampson. Good morning, Barb. Hey, Karen. And you know, I checked the temperature before I left home. Minus 9. That's what yours says? Let me tell you what it says here. Oh, it's gone up here. It says minus 2, but it feels like minus 5. So. Oh, well, and this was Alexa that I checked, so who knows if she knew what was going on in Mankato, Minnesota. Did you hear that the... Uh, the Puxatani Phil, the groundhog saw a shadow. That means six more weeks of winter, but he's only 30% right, so. Okay, well, so be it. But I have a good alternative when it gets really cold like this. You know, this is why we love to read our seed catalogs and books and things, and we also love to take care of our houseplants. And much to my surprise, this past week, an azalea, or azalea, a hibiscus that I took a cutting from it was outside. Now, when I talk about this hibiscus, it's simply a red hibiscus. It's an old-fashioned one. It's not for our zone here at this all. This is one that you'd call it tropical then, because we now have those hardy hibiscus, which we have in the ground, and you can over, they'll stay outside, and they'll be fine. So yours is one that you'd have, it's like an annual here. It, it is an annual here in the south. It would, it would be fine, but here it would just simply freeze out. And so what what you have to do, it grows so much in the summer. It Mine will grow uh, easily five to five foot tall in the summer. And the flowers on them are small in comparison to the regular ones that we're seeing in the store nowadays. Very, very small. About the size of, oh, I would say maybe an inch across, inch and a half across. But they, they look similar to the... Uh, to the uh, uh, other blooms on the hibiscus. They're just smaller in size. And for the last two summers, I've taken cuttings in August and just simply taken off the lower leaves on my cuttings, put them in warm water, and they've developed roots in no time at all. And by... um, Late October, I've got them growing in in soil, in new potting soil or no. potting mix. When you cut them, where do you cut them? What, like, what's the appropriate place it, to cut them? Because they're not woody like the hardy ones you said. No, they're, they're not. They're soft. That's soft, soft okay. tissue. And so it's all new growth because this is really an annual here. But you want to take something that's small. So I go to a lateral branch coming off the side, and then I just take off the very, um, I would say, six inches of that, take off those lower leaves on that six-inch piece that you've got, just leave those two or three that are on top, and I always make the cut at a slant so it can take in more water, and then just put it into a small container where there's humidity. It does really... To develop roots, a plant really does best when it's got that humidity. You wouldn't put that in the bright sun. And I kept them, I keep them on the kitchen sink. And I did three of those this year, and all three were just great. And so last week, now just think, this is this was the end of January. Uh, one of them started blooming. And you just started the cutting in August. Wow. In August, yeah. So is it is that you know? But here's the other downfall about this particular hibiscus. The blooms last one day. Like a day lily then? Yeah, so they open up in the morning, and by by evening they're starting to look withered, and the next day you come, and there's just nothing there at all. 
So so but, enjoy it while it's there. Yes, that's right. So that's one of the things you can do when you get so bored. But then going to your seed catalogs, you know when it was so cold this week? I was trying to do several things. The sun was shining, and I was going to vacuum around my plants that are in the window, and I knocked over a coleus, Uh-oh. and I thought, oh, you know, I'm just not in the mood for this, doing this. I'm going to go back to my seed catalogs and start looking at what it is that I really want to order. And uh, the day before, I had made a new salad dressing uh, from a recipe I'd found in a magazine, and it called for tarragon. And when I took the tarragon out of my cupboard, opened it up, it looked so dried out. And so I just took a little smidgen and tasted it. You couldn't even tell what it was. So it pretty much lost its flavor. So spices get old. They do. And, and you have to go through them just like anything else. And just, um, you can put them into your into your compost pile. That'll be fine, you know. Won't hurt uh, anything, no? No, that's all, that's all organic. And if you go, if you have a seed catalog, you can start looking for seeds. And all seeds aren't aren't quite equal. Now, in my um, catalog, it talks about, um, gives me some information on tarragon, and it tells me if I really want the best, the gourmet tarragon to raise, I should get the Russian tarragon. Now, I appreciate that advice, because otherwise I would think, why is this good? Why is this not so good? And this one's cheaper, so why don't I get this one? Yeah, exactly. So, So seed catalogs provide an awful lot of information about us, and they talk about the life cycle. You know, they'll tell you if you've got an annual, a biannual, or a perennial. Just really good information in there. You know, and all seed catalogs aren't created equally either. You know, this one I just got in the mail from Johnny's. It is. It's a thick catalog. I mean, it's it's like a almost like a book, but it's got all these great sidebars that that provide so much information, not just about the varieties and the seeds, but you know, here's like summer squash. It talks about the culture and about diseases and uh, how to harvest the fruit and fruit and the, the blossoms and storage and et cetera, et cetera. So. Like you said, I, we were chatting this morning saying some of these you want to save for reference. Yeah, exactly. That That's so important. And the other thing about, uh, I think about a catalog, is if it gives me a picture. I, I love the colored pictures. I'm yes. very visual. I I can remember that. And, uh, it, and I get an idea, especially if you're going to do plants. Um, vegetables, not so much. But if, if you can see... Uh, the plant when it's flowering, it it isn't always true. Uh, pictures and catalogs aren't always true. No, for but sure. I remember when I was younger, mom and dad, we get all those those catalogs, and I'd see the pictures, and, and I would just, oh my gosh, look at these blossoms. Sometimes they just have a close up of the blossom, and when you really see it, it you know, the, in the, the it was a real close up. So when you actually got the plant and saw it, it didn't look as amazing. So you got to really see the whole thing. That's true. You know, one of the catalogs that I have enjoyed in in the past, and I haven't gotten it recently because I haven't ordered anything from them, is the Seed Savers catalog from Decorah, Iowa. Now, they have been collecting, preserving, and replanting seeds for four decades, the last 40 years. And now they put out a nursery table census. And in there, they list um, several more than 7,945 varieties of, of seeds that are happening. As a matter of fact, did you know 
This is little-known information. Did you know that there's 21 varieties of rhubarb? Rhubarb. I just thought it was all the same, red and... Well, I knew there was the old-fashioned, which is the greener one, and then the the one we call the strawberry rhubarb, which the stems are redder on. But I didn't realize there was that much variation. I didn't either. You know, this past... Because this past year at the the garden out at the lake house, which I didn't plant this stuff, I had some rhubarb, but it never grew very tall, and it had just really... It was almost like a dwarf rhubarb, and I thought, is it not growing well, or is that the variety? So I don't know. I I think there you might have a problem with shade. Uh, with shade. <laughs> okay. Uh, rhubarb loves full sun and then just neglect it. Use so it, it must not it. be probably not the variety. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not. I'm sure it's not. You just dig it up if and you, put it somewhere else. Yes, there you go. You can do that. You can do that when it's just coming through the soil in the spring, or you can wait till fall and do that. But believe me, you will have a big root there. So, but Do they have tap roots? Or? They, and they're woody in there, so they do have somewhat of a tap root, yes. And you know what else they list in this new census? 256 varieties of, of pears. Now, really? You know, it, I've got two varieties. And I, you know, I've said, Karen, now what is this one variety? And you always say, oh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. Yeah, but no wonder, because there are so many named varieties of pears. And there, there's such a difference between them. You've got the one that ripens here in our area. And is so sweet. It's the best tasting I've ever had. Right. And you can freeze that, and you can dry it. You can just make it into cobbler right away. That That is just a, you know, that way. If only we knew what variety that was. Well, my husband has narrowed it down. It could be a Parker or a, what's the other common one down here? Um I forget now, but I don't because know. he remembers years ago when he bought it at a local nursery, and and that was the kind that they were selling back then. And I'll have to double check, but yes, yes, you know, um, when I was uh, cleaning up my house plants and having a bad day because I knocked some things over, I ended up I knocked over a big coleus plant, and it's one of those newer ones has the big leaves on it and grows quite fairly tall. I think they're called King Kong. Those are big, yes. Yes. And and when you knock a plant like that over, because it has those taller branches, they snap off very easily. Yes. They just go snap. So I had taken coleus from the other plant that I have, and now I have starts from this one. Right. So you've got more plants you're starting. Uh, yes. Yes, I do. So it not all is lost. And again here, you know, take off the bottom leaves. Don't leave any leaves in the water because of the bacteria. Still rot. And, and the other thing is they won't do well anyway. You, you think that um, this small stem um, has to, it's going really on stored up energy until it can get its roots back in the ground and, and start doing its photosynthesis and start making food for the plant. All right, I have an answer for what kind of pear it was. I just got an email. Oh, did you <laughs> My really? husband's listening, obviously. So it's a, a Parker pear and a Patton pear. So those are the two that I have. And, and one of them, the tree is not doing very well because it's sort of um, got snapped off. And, and it's, sure. I think it's going to die. So if, if that dies, I'm going to have to probably get another one or something because they need to cross-pollinate. And is that the one that hangs over the deck that's my favorite with the fruit on it that just... It's close to your deck. They're both there. They're both, I mean, there's two next to each other that hang over the deck. And Mm. I've had to trim them back because, I mean, and I've had the actual tree trimmers, the professionals come, the arborists, and they trimmed it back But because it gets so many amazing branches that, and when it gets those pears, it gets so heavy. And last year I tried to 
remove some of the little ones, but I there's no way I could do it all. So that's the thing. I mean, you might get one that produces really heavily, but sometimes too heavy is not always good either. Yes, yes, right, right. And so there, I think there is a spray that you can use when the blooms are on to take off some of the blooms so that you don't get as many pears. But I've, I've never done that, and I don't know anyone that has done that. But it is a shame if you have something that's really great and then you lose it because you have branches that are breaking because they become so heavy with fruit. And the other thing is um, the apple tree that we took down, that got so much fruit on it, and I was always picking it up off the ground. That was a big job. That was that was more work than weeding or something because every single day there would be apples coming off from that. So I wish there was some recipe of what you could do with unripe pears and apples. There must be something, or we could invent something, perhaps. Yes. I, I'm sure if all else fails, you can always pickle them, and it seems like... Well, that's it, true. I, I've been using them as compost. Yeah, the compost is great. I'll bet you there is a recipe. Now, um, I have one at home for green tomato pie. Oh, that doesn't even sound good to me. It is good, you honestly. But how much sugar is in it? Because it's got it. Yeah. yeah, and lemon. Oh. And uh, uh, and so it seems to me that the whole basis of the the, the tomatoes are the filling, but they certainly don't put any flavor, and they bring nothing to the to the pie except to give it body. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but but you know, you think of uh, early settlers; nothing was wasted. Right. You know, they were probably. Uh, uh, storing up green tomatoes and hoping they would ripen and they were probably canning that they probably made some type of a filling and put it in jars and took it out in the winter and thought wow this is this is really good stuff better than nothing yes exactly right well um there's so many good reasons to get seed catalogs and to read the information but if you can, pass it on to somebody else. I think of all the trees that that have to be harvested for all these millions of seed catalogs that go out every single year. And there's a lot of stuff online, too. I mean, you can order online without the catalog. But there, for me, it's there's something about having those seed catalogs in hand on a cold winter's day and looking yes. through them versus just sitting at a computer and looking at the pictures. It's, just, it's yes. just a thing. And, you know, I was telling you, I actually put my mom, she's, of course, passed away, in uh, 2016, but I used to put her on some of the seed catalog lists and she'd get them in the nursing home and she loved them because then she would cut some of the flower pictures out and she would paste them on paper and make cards for people because she, you know, just enjoyed the the beautiful flowers. And for her, even though she couldn't do that anymore, it was just sort of like a ray of sunshine that she could dream. And that's a big part of looking at those is dreaming. Oh, and those memories. Um, a memory, uh, that something that came to mind this week for me was on Wednesday. I always read uh, Diane Selly's column mm-hmm. in the Free Press. Great author. And she talked about the value of your wood ashes and how you can in- put them on the garden. And, you know, when I was a child, we had such a big garden that my dad would take the the plow that you use for plowing in the fields, and he'd come and plow up the garden. My dad too, and then the disc. Yep. Yeah. Thing. Yes, and and then a manure went on there, and that was disc in. And I remembered we had a huge furnace in our basement. I mean, it was big, and it burned coal and it burned wood, but most of the time it just burned wood, and. We, my mother would have those ashes 
put on the garden, and they also were were uh, uh, tilled in. It wasn't every year, but she seemed to have a sense about her when we needed to have the ashes. Because to ashes, what do they add? Uh, they add a couple of different things. They add potassium in in low amounts, phosphorus, calcium, and magnesium. Uh, they're they're good for improving the tilth of the soil with everything else. You don't want to when you side dress. You don't want to put in more than a fourth or a half a inch per year, and that's a lot. And the other thing about ashes, um, I remember when the ashes got spread, we all had to stay in the house because the, if there was wind, it would be blowing around. And my mother always said, you know, we have to be careful of our eyes, be careful. And so those have to be tilled in. You don't want to get those on your ashes on your no, like clothing. No, scratch your or, corneas. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, um, if you're going to get ashes, know where they're coming from. You don't want to have ashes that came from wood that was treated and there's a lot of uh, wood that's treated so that it won't rot and in the soil or insects won't eat it up so you don't want to have anything like that spread on your garden. Now I was just looking about the ashes and the pH it says if your yard or garden soil has a pH of seven or higher give the ashes to a friend with the more acidic soil. Now my pH is seven seven and a half and eight so probably would not be good for me because I have such alkaline right. soil already so you know in in some cases know know your soil is an important part it's, so for me yes. it, it wouldn't be a good thing because I've already got such high alkaline soil so um, if somebody has acidic oil and they want to make it more alkaline then you would add the ashes and you know probably um, when you when you think of manure and you think of manuring your field it becomes more acidy and so when you add ashes, then it's alkaline. So then you're bringing it toward the normal pH. But how my mom was able to decide this, when this sh- all should go on. She just uh, had a sense about her, huh? She did. And and the garden was really important. Uh, you know, you had a real respect for the garden. You didn't go in there and play or you were careful where you walked. Only and, between the rows. Absolutely. And not when it was wet. And um, and if you were going to go fishing and you needed angleworms, I mean, that was oh, the place yes. to go. Well, we had a place right by the barn before you came in the barn where us kids used to play. But it had right by the barnyard, so there was also a lot of really good soil from, because, you know, the cow yard was right next to it. And we used to dig the giant angleworms for, we'd take our cane poles and mm-hmm. go down fishing. But that was the great thing about it. You'd have that, that area to do that. And moving in town, um, I'm getting better soil because I'm working to improve it. But until you do that, sometimes you're like, where did all the worms go? Yeah, exactly. And when I was a kid, um, it got so that in the summertime, we would we would want to fish every single day. We probably didn't get to do that. But uh, we, whenever we found an angleworm, if we were uh, playing in the dirt with our trucks and building bridges and things, and there was an angleworm, it was so valuable. Right. You, we had to go run, find a tin can and put it put in there. Put a little dirt in there with put, it. Oh, yeah, and a little bit of water and yep. then put it in the shade. Or if you couldn't stop doing what you were doing, you put them in your pocket. And maybe I've told you this oh, before. <laughs> yes. And and as a kid, I was such a tomboy. Yeah, I'll bet. And <laughs> my mother was washing blue jeans, and everybody was supposed to turn out their pockets, and I didn't turn out my pockets. And here she found, and we had a... Um, uh, not a regular wash machine like was spinner like we do, but it was a 
wash machine that was, uh, uh, what do we call it, with an agitator in it, where you put the clothes in and they agitated and you took them out and you put them into the rinse water and all that. And my mother opened up the machine and here were all these angleworms floating up on the water yeah. and you know what <laughs> she knew it was me right away right oh, she yeah. she knew i had done it so <laughs> and now my husband <clears throat> when we do clothing if there's a clinics left in the pocket he'll tell me and oh my um, husband does laundry and he's always like What's in your pockets? Do you clean them out? But then he checks them anyway because I don't always get it. So Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I always say, yep, they're cleaned out, and I think they are. But, you know, sometimes I forget that I use the back pockets, too, oh. and I've shoved things in there. So not good. And the other thing is I have this tendency when I'm on the ground, close to the ground, I have to examine things, and I always find a beautiful stone. <laughs> I just I, I just think, now... You know, I like that. That's really nice. And that goes in my pocket. And so if stones get into the washing machine, I hear about it. It's it's one of the things I'm working on. But, it, you know, habits are hard to bake. <clears throat> so anyway, um, that's that's my sad story there. So my son is working on his science fair project, which is to see if, wa- if plants watered with carbonated water uh, grow better and faster than those with uh, we're doing distilled and tap water and of course it's only been a couple of weeks so I have spider plants and they're just starting to take root but I'm interesting uh, very interested to see what happens in this experiment to see if it matters because it's one of our observations Barbara's when you put the carbonated water in the soil it just bubbles up bubbles up and it leaches some of the the um, soil down through because the water that comes out underneath is all brown as opposed to the others more clear. So we're going to stay tuned to see what happens with that experiment and let you know. So we'll uh, follow that carefully. Well, I think that's really exciting. And I think that's an experiment uh, that any child would be happy to do in their home. And uh, I think most of the things that I have learned in nature, I've learned by experiencing. And as a child, all the things that I tried to grow that weren't successful and trying different things, moving them around, adding uh, more water, adding less water, fertilizing, all of those things. Some things were good, some weren't, but there were lessons to be learned. So I love the science fair. It's such a great thing. I can remember uh, when my kids were little, I can remember judging here at the university, the science fair, and and it was just the highlight of my Saturday. They would tell you their story and what they went through, and these amazing ideas that they had, things that they're 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 thinking about. It's just uh, it, it's it's really exciting to see kids that that want to know, want to answer the question, why does this work like this, or what is the best thing. So I want to just, before we get done here, remind people to sign up for the upcoming Spring Alive 7, which is the Minnesota River Valley Master Gardeners Education Day. And we've got some really great speakers lined up. And that is coming up on February 24th, which is a Saturday. But if you register before a certain day, it's you get a little uh, break on the price. I think it's if you register by February 15th, which is, well, you know, I guess a couple weeks. Uh, it's $15 per person, which is a really great deal for what you're getting. Otherwise, it's $20 per person at the door. And that's going to be coming up the Saturday, February 24th at the South Central College. And you know we've got some really amazing speakers, including one, Dr. <coughs> Sarah Hobby, who is 
uh, with the University of Minnesota has done research on water quality and how what we do in our yards makes such a difference. And you've heard her speak too. Yes, Karen. And the thing that I think that's so exciting about this speaker is she is so easy to understand. She has... Makes it easy for... Yeah, simple. Yes. And you can come ask your questions, find out how safe our water is, find out how our water gets polluted, find out what you can do, any of those burning questions that you have. I mean, after all, uh, it's not just about how much water we've got, it's about the quality of the water. Yeah, you can have all the water in the world, but if you can't use it, it's worthless. Uh, that's right, that's right. Right now, in, in Southern Africa, they're having a drought, and we have to start thinking about this with weather changing patterns how we can be prepared if we would have a drought a drought doesn't necessarily mean one year it could be several years in a row and what would happen to our drinking water absolutely and another great speaker is shane bagasia who is the blue earth county extension agent and he's going to talk about beneficial insects so how to attract good bugs to your yard and you say well good bugs what's that well they take care of some of the bad bugs that they're eating things because they're predators to those so what can you do to bring those in your yard uh, including parasitoids uh, other predators insects and another speaker is going to be the past president of the minnesota hostess society kathy harem and i'm really excited about her because she She's a gardener up in the Twin Cities that has over 400 varieties of hostas. And, you know, there's some 8,000 varieties. So she's going to talk about a lot of the old and the new ones and then talking about some diseases that hostas can get and what we should watch out for. Another thing about Shane's talk is not only will he tell you good bugs, bad bugs, but he will tell you how to attract the good bugs to your yard right. so that you can get rid of the bad bugs. And I think that's really important, growing the right things so that you have that balance. Absolutely. I hope he talks about how to get rid of voles. No, he probably... <laughs> <laughs> but that's... Everybody's got their own idea about that, how to do right. that. So um, that's a subject for another workshop. But if you want to register, you can... Uh, pick up forms at the Blue Earth County Historic Courthouse, or you can go online. Um, you can to the um, Minnesota Extension Service, the Blue Earth County, and you can uh, find the, the brochure. And I notice we've also got it posted on the Mankato Times, posted it on their site, which is really nice. And Drummers posted it on their site, so you can find information from a lot of different places. And we hope to see you there. We have a lot of great door prizes, which is always fun. Yes, we do. And we love to meet people. And uh, just uh, bring your questions. This is uh, every speaker will have a question and answer period, and you should get a lot of good firsthand information. All right. Thanks, Barb. Always great talking to you. Thanks, Karen.